Hey everybody, Pastor Worth here for West Seattle Christian Church Online. For those of you who are new and you've found us, I'm glad that you have. And a warm welcome to all of you regulars uh, in our church community. And today we're talking about a few things that might pique your interest. We're talking about the conflicts of prayer, destructive behaviors, a little bit of helplessness thrown into the mix, and what it means to follow a true leader. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you of two things. The first of which is next week is Easter Sunday. Can't even believe it, but it's already here. And uh, we are having an in-person worship service, if you haven't heard. And uh, we want to invite you to that. For, for everyone who feels comfortable to come, uh, please come and join us uh, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And in case you're wondering what it will be like, check this out. Hey, West Seattle, we have missed you. We can't wait to see you face to face. You might be wondering what to expect when you come to West Seattle Christian Church in person. Upon arriving, you can park in either our upper lot off Genesee or in our lower lot off of 41st Avenue. If parking in the lower lot, please follow this path to safely make your way up to the worship center. These doors will be open for ventilation. Please enter through our breezeway lobby doors. You'll notice when you enter the lobby, new mask and sanitizing stations. We've also provided a safe way to pick up communion elements as you enter. And there are a few new rules posted about bathroom use. Please follow social distancing reminders. Our seating is spaced appropriately so that you can sit with your family group. If you need extra seating, please ask for help. We're excited to see you all again soon for our in-person Easter celebration. I also want to draw your attention to our Alpha course uh, online, which starts next week on April 6th. I will be leading this group, and this is for those who are brand new to the Christian faith. For, for those of you who have questions about Jesus and the church and faith and life, maybe for the first time or maybe because you were part of the church and you left the church and you haven't been back for years and you want to ask those questions, so to be clear, this is not a Bible study and it's not for those who already follow Jesus right now, unless you are inviting somebody and bringing them with you who fits that description that I've just given. So for the rest of you, take some time and think about who you could invite to Alpha. It's super easy to get online and share the link from our website and all the other social media places that we're, we're in. And I really appreciate it if you did that. So, all right, let's get back to it. Today, we are starting old school, specifically in the book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. So you might want to pause and take a minute to find that. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 12, which says this, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who 
whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If you haven't heard this prayer, it is the prayer that King Jehoshaphat prayed when a massive army came against the Hebrew people. In case you don't know, Jehoshaphat was one of the kings of Israel, of Judah, that did good in the eyes of the Lord. He was one of the few good kings in a long line of bad kings. And in this situation, he prayed this prayer, and he instructed all of the people in Judah to pray and fast together as one. And if you examine the prayer closely, what you see is humility. You see someone searching for guidance. You see someone who has faith, someone who is putting all of their well-being at the feet of God. He does this explicitly when he admits his weakness and says that they don't have the power to, be, to defeat their enemies and they don't know what to do. And, and that's kind of the point of today. Jehoshaphat models for us a really good place to start in those situations in life when we don't have the answers, when we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to deal, when we admit that we are powerless and weak and that we can't control our situation, which happens more often than we want it to, to happen. Our willpower is not enough and we need God to step in. Have you ever been in this place? Have you ever lived through a moment or moments like this where maybe you lose your job or maybe you've gotten really sick? Maybe Maybe one of your kids makes a really bad choice or a relationship in your life is on really shaky ground or has already been, maybe it's been torn apart. Maybe you made a bad choice practically or morally and there are consequences to deal with. And the answer is that, yeah, we have all been in these spots. And it takes me back to our anchor text for this reset series, which is the Lord's Prayer. And today I want to narrow our focus down uh, to the way Jesus wraps things up in verse 13 of that prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has already instructed us on God's otherness, his holiness, on God's kingdom, on daily bread, on forgiveness. And this last one is about temptation and evil. It's an interesting way to end a prayer, but it's also very strategic, which is an opinion I hope you'll share after we take a look at it. But this part of the prayer in verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil. Uh, the message says, keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. Now, I want to stop for a minute and address the elephant in the room for a second, because if you're new with this, or if you're new to the faith especially, or new to searching about Jesus, a lot of people, um, that when it comes to the idea about God and having a relationship with him, and even more especially if you've left the church or the faith and then you're taking a look at it again, looking at it again, maybe from like arm's length, or maybe it's more like you're looking at it like it's a distant galaxy over there through the Hubble telescope, or I don't know. But if this, if this whole lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil thing might sound like an accusation to you, you're not alone, but it's like someone is labeling you as a sinner or that you're doing things wrong. And I, wanna, I want to uh, assure you that that's not the point Jesus is making here. And if it helps, and you don't like that word sin, uh, a lot of people don't like that word sin. Maybe you'd like to rephrase it with something like, 
uh, actions that are really destructive and harmful either to you or to others. Nevertheless, I think Jesus' ultimate endgame here is not simply the removal of destructive actions and patterns of behavior. Uh, he doesn't just want us to be delivered from something uh, and be saved from something. He wants us to deliver us to something. Maybe it would be helpful to look at another New Testament passage that illustrates what these destructive behaviors are really like. In other words, what sin is really like. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So sin, or a pattern of destructive actions and behaviors in our lives, sin is like a dark forest of vines and sharp thorny weeds, according to Hebrews, that are trying to uh, slow you down. They're trying to entangle you and snare you, to lay traps for you. It's a forest full of pits and snakes and lava and quicksand, and don't forget the spiders, which are designed to keep you from getting to the treasure, the reward that you're really longing and yearning for. And God is that treasure. To be delivered from evil isn't just about not being tempted and choosing right over wrong, but it's in the deepest depths of reality. It means you've been delivered into the presence of God. I want you to think about that word delivery for a minute. When we read this passage, we often think of it as escaping from whatever our own vices or situations are. But the more common idea is to have something delivered to you, something delivered to your doorstep, like a package. So in effect, when you pray this prayer, you're asking to be delivered to the doorstep of God. And I think Jesus's point here is that the more time you spend actively trying to live with God, and make him a part of your life, you will see how good that is in your life. And this will lead you to a more continuous and uninterrupted impulse to be delivered from sin and evil, from destructive patterns of behavior. The point is not to escape these things, but to be so overjoyed with God in your life that you want to be continually empowered to overcome temptation and crave and, and thirst and long after holiness. So just remember, we kind of get into trouble when we separate, separate the idea of God delivering from something and delivering to something. When we only concentrate on God delivering us from something, we kind of get in trouble when we only concentrate on that part of it. I want to give you an image that may help you visualize the paths that Jesus is laying before us here as he ends this prayer, just like I've given you an image at the end of uh, every uh, sermon in this series. And here it is. Just like Jehoshaphat admitted that he needed help, so Jesus offers us this model in the Lord's Prayer when he says, lead us not into temptation. It's such an interesting phrase. Lead us. Deliver us. Jesus is really a master wordsmith here. He ends this prayer with these two verbs, lead us and deliver us. We've talked about the ramifications of being delivered just a minute ago, but what does it mean to be led? And maybe this is a good question to ask as a wrap-up for this week. What does it mean to be led? 
this question kind of, when I asked myself this question, it kind of teleported me back to kindergarten where you had games like Follow the Leader and Simon Says. And it reminded me that we all, at least most of the time, we like to be the leader. Um, we like to be in charge. We like to be in control, calling the shots, if you will. But the wording that Jesus gives us here, I think, is specific and precise. He meant to say this so that we would remember and be pointed to something by design. When you pray this part of the prayer, you're saying that you are following God when you say, lead us. Uh, that you don't come first, that you're not in control, that God is your leader. You are asking him to lead you. You are admitting that without him, you don't stand a chance, really, um, and that you don't have much to give. And quite possibly, without God in your life, you leading you, you won't really know who you are or what you're supposed to be doing with your life. If you boil it down to its essence when praying this part of the prayer, you're being uh, really transparent with God and admitting you don't, have, you don't have the strength to rescue yourself. Like Jehoshaphat, the leader of Judah that we read about when he prayed, he prayed this part, we, for we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lead us not into temptation means God, lead me because I cannot lead myself. Can I get an amen? So here's my prayer for you today as you revisit the Lord's Prayer and hopefully make a habit of reciting it as often as you think of it. Remember, it's not something just to pray, but something to practice. May God keep you and save you. May he deliver you from yourself and from evil. May he give you joy from himself, like a bolt of electricity that charges you up gives you a strong current of deep satisfaction in him that you would taste that and want nothing else but that and that he would give you strength to see the traps and thorns and pitfalls for what they are distractions that prevent you from seeking and finding the real treasure in Christ Jesus and it's in his name that we that we pray these things amen